Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. And I'm Courtney. We talk through the do-do's and don't-do's of pandemic personalized learning. <laughs> or personalized pandemic learning, whichever one. <laughs> Which one do you think? That's fine. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, a framework for returning to school which I know yeah. a lot of states are, are doing at this point. Uh, oh, there or, are so many. And this is about the time. So now that There's school is done. There's almost 50. <laughs> There's almost 50 states, I would agree. And... No, there are 50 states, there are almost 50 frameworks. <laughs> well, I would say there's even more than that because there are more than that, yeah. I was watching one yesterday for San Diego Unified School District, Yeah. Uh, which was like a three hour YouTube uh, video, uh, wow. which was, yeah, it was, uh, it was very long, but looking at what the actual framework for them compared to the one that we're going to talk about today, which is the state framework for Maine, uh, they're basically the same thing. And they're all the same. Well, yeah, to, yeah. I, I would say to some extent, to an extent, they yes. are all very much the same because In, they are all based on CDC. Yep. You know, at the, at the core, it's all based on CDC or World Health Organization right. recommendations. Yeah, big sweeping gestures. Uh, yeah. They're all the same. The details right. may be a little bit different depending but right. to be honest as i was looking through the san diego one there's a lot of details that are exactly the same type of thing good so let's yeah. let's go through it a little bit okay so this is the it's it's called the framework for returning to classroom instruction almost yeah. final oh well so here, yeah almost <laughs> final so so i was privileged to be a part of the group that um, advised on this and helped write this. Um, it was it, it was a, a large group, lots of representation from all kinds of groups and stakeholders. And um, anyway, so so I can add in some perspective in different places. And I guess and one thing I do want to say is that from the beginning, um, Commissioner Pender Macon and the group were all pretty clear that this will never be a final draft. Right. I think that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's just, it can't be because things are going to change. Um, and so the group knew that schools needed something now right, to help plan yep. for, for the fall. And so we put out the best thing we could put out right now with guidance that is in place right now and based on what projections are. And the huge caveat is this is all subject to change at any moment. Yep. Uh, which is I, awesome. Which is awesome. I know <laughs> since at this point we're about yeah. nine or 10 weeks away from uh, schools uh, reopening for learning. Yeah. And in those, just think about, uh, 10 weeks ago from right now, as we speak, it was like the beginning of April or yeah. so when we were two weeks in yeah. uh, to this closure, which seems at this point like 10 years ago. It does seem a really long time ago. Yeah. Wow. So 10 weeks from now, it's going to be completely different. And I like how you mentioned that this is never going to be final. Uh, yeah. Before we start getting into a little bit of it, uh, I really like a lot of this. 
and some of, the, some of the things they say. Uh, and I wish they were a little more bold at mm. saying some of these things, but I understand why they didn't. I guess we'll talk about that as we go. Yeah, well, I think one thing to understand about Maine, and I don't know California well or actually many other states well because that's not, I live and work in Maine in the education field, <laughs> um, is that uh, Maine is a very uh, high local control state and the <laughs> Department of Education has very limited ability to make like declarations or like requirements or rules, right? Yep. Especially around um, anything like this. Um, so which is why if you've been following in Maine at all, there's a lot of like recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. And um, a few things have come out as executive orders. So like if anything is going to be kind of mandatory, it would have to come out as an executive order basically. Yep. Um, which is why it doesn't feel as bold as perhaps some people would like it to be. And I think that that's true. I think that there are a lot of people who would like some language to be bolder and all along the way would have liked language to be bolder and more yep. straightforward. Um, but that's just not the culture in Maine. So I think one of the, one of the things when you, when you mentioned about how people think it might be bolder, I don't think it's necessarily even some of the, more progressive educators that would like to see some aggressive types of, of change. Yeah. I, I worked in a small district in Maine where a lot of this work that would have to be done and the training and the preparation uh, is put on a district, of course. Right. And I came from a district where there were basically two people in the central office. Right. As opposed to your bigger districts, which has different departments of, you know, transportation and health. Yeah and you know nutrition and curriculum etc so it's more people right but i think the smaller districts would have liked to see more this is how you do it oh absolutely and, oh and, yeah and i think they'll i think the state will be more involved in that particular case uh, yeah. which again as you said before hasn't really happened in the past in maine but i think it's the time where it's time for them to step up and i think they've done a pretty good job with it yeah so yeah, agreed. Yeah, it isn't it isn't necessarily people saying like, we want you to say no more grading. No, it's it's more along right. the lines of people <laughs> saying like, can you lay this out specifically for us so that we don't have to make the decisions? And it's like, right. well, if Maine had operated that way for 200 years, maybe, but we haven't. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. So we're going to start today with this framework in part three, which is about academic programs and student Great. learning. Great. Uh, the first two really talk about um, physical health and safety, and then social, emotional, mental health considerations, which are super important, but not really aligned to what we're going to talk about today. Right. Right. So, Come on, guys. When you think of us, we, we talk about instruction and curriculum. So we that's what we're doing. <laughs> so the first one, it's, I'm going to say this has an A, B, C, and D parts, uh -huh. plus, plus further considerations. So the A part talks about engaging staff in professional development over the summer yep. in preparation for remote, in-person, and blended learning models. Yeah. Yep. I, to me, that gives the whole game away right there. Well, that yeah. We are going to have a different way of what school looks like yes even in the fall 
Yes. And you might have some kids in the schools. You might. You might have some kids that stay exclusively at home. You might. And there's going to be a mix all over the place and we need to be prepared for it. Yes. I do have a question about this as soon as we get through the three parts. Okay. Uh, that you might have some answers for and you might not. I might not. I don't know what um, the question is. But, but some of the things yeah. are... But some of what you're pointing out, right? Is yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's intentional. Yeah. Everyone needs to be thinking about and preparing for all of those scenarios and all of those scenarios happening all at once mm -hmm. or flowing in and out of them. So this is not just for Maine that we're talking about either. I would say this is oh, uh, say the world. pretty much all 50 states and the rest of the world yeah. are, have these happenings right now. Yep. Uh, I was talking with somebody this morning and we also need to be prepared for all three because let's say, let's just say Courtney, Okay. That September 1st, we come back to school where everybody goes back to school because the summer has really killed the virus and it's okay for people to come back. And then All right, I'm, I'll play along with this yep. magical thinking. Keep going. And then, of course, since the virus isn't dead, it's just kind of dormant for a little bit. It'll come back in the fall and there's a spike and suddenly schools have to close again. Sure. I don't think it's going to be acceptable for schools to say, okay, well, we're out for at least two weeks here. Uh, we'll figure it all out when we get back, but give us some time to figure this out. No, no. No, we've already been through that phase. Yeah, the, we've done that already. And I was thinking as I'm reading in the paper the last couple of days about uh, China and how they've they did a great job of really tampering it down after they got to what, 85,000 or so cases. Uh, but in the last few days where schools are open and things are back to normal-ish, uh, they have a big spike happening in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And I read this morning that they're closing the schools for at least two more weeks. Yeah. Uh, after they've been basically fully open. Right. And I am pretty sure that some of those scenarios are going to happen in the United States at some point. Oh yeah. So we, we do need to be prepared for all three. Right. And I'm glad it's right there that you have to prepare for all three. You can't just hope for the best and prepare for that only because uh, no. school is going to be different now. Yep. So here they, they gave some options on how to do some of those things yep. before I get to my big question. Okay. Uh, the That's first one is about, Oh, go ahead. You're on B now. Uh, well, well, kind of. The okay. A talks about accessing free webinars and live sessions on remote learning and blended yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. pretty straightforward. The, the DOE is going to offer some things, and I think most uh, districts can help with that. Uh, create a planning team for instruction to draft curriculum plans for rapidly transitioning between mm -hmm. possible scenarios. Love yeah. it. And the last one talks about, I, I think this is where I would have liked to see this in bold. Uh, encourage visionary risk takers oh, yeah, yeah. to create non-traditional models and plans. This is a time for innovation and big thinking. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. School's different now. hundred percent. Well, yeah, this is, this is like, this is, this is our line of the whole thing. Agreed. Right I, I totally agree that uh, yeah. I was talking with somebody this morning and basically nothing is off the table. No, you have an idea that might engage and help your learners try it. Uh, yeah. Spit it out. Share it. Right. Don't just try it. Share it. 
because somebody may say, oh, I don't really like that, but I could tweak it and do this with my kids. Uh, I like that. And I like that's right out there. I guess my question on this whole part, and this is where I don't know if you can help me or not, um, engaging staff in that professional development, yeah. how do we pay our staff to do that? Because teachers are basically off contract at this point. Has there been dis has there been discussions about uh, any like supplemental budget type things uh, to help districts because districts um, already have their have their budgets in line at this point? Right. Yeah. I. You know what? I don't really know. I mean, off the top of my head, I can say that some districts have this line already anyway, right? For paying some, not all teachers, but for paying teachers for professional work over the summer. So there's already some districts who are positioned to do some of that. A lot of districts ended up not using their professional contract days at the end of this school year because everyone was just done. Yep. Um, so there's potential there. And this is all, all of this is just in my head thinking. I don't sure. have any, any true answers and so please don't go and be like you know well we can use this courtney said so because i'm gonna be like <laughs> i pulled that out of you know where um so that's a that's there's potential there i think for using the, those that time creatively mm -hmm. um there's also cares act funding yep which is very flexible and i would assume that there's a way to use that money yep for that for this purpose um, and there's a lot of free also, um, you know, and teachers get contact hours and things like if they participate in any of the DOE stuff, they'll yep. get contact hours, which goes towards certification. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of potential, but I have not heard any specific plans around how districts are going to compensate teachers for this work. I think it goes well with that last part about the part C that we talked about um, creating non-traditional models and plans. Yeah. Like anything outside the box, maybe some type of flex time or right. Right. Uh, approaching school differently. Maybe it's not a five day a week thing anymore. Right. Uh, maybe you can change your calendar a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, still, I know there's going to be a lot of flexibility about seat time and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so, so maybe contract time looks different too. Yeah. And I think working with your administrators and unions together, trying to figure these things out and have it be a, as a partnership and not thinking it's going to be the same old way will help some of these things because teachers really need and want that professional development. Yeah. But also want to be fairly compensated. Totally yeah. get it. So there are ways to do this. Just like we're trying to figure out how to do oh, yeah. remote learning with our kids, we can figure these things out. Right. I think I, mentioning flex, that's a great opportunity is flex time. Yeah. You know, uh, especially given how we know it's very unlikely that it'll be like you're expected to be in a school, school building from 7.30 to 3.30 every day. Yeah. Like, so yeah. there you go. So let's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one got a little less personalized learning part than I thought, but that's okay. Uh, let's go to the next one where it talks about some things to consider. And this is, yeah. these are some of the things I like. 
so it talks about considering flexible grouping, multi-age mm -hmm. classrooms, looping, interdisciplinary courses and units. Yeah. Um, and then it has a bunch of bullet points under that right there. Right. So all of these things are exactly what we've been talking about for a while. Yeah. Getting out of the uh, grade level expectation part and getting into meeting kids where they are yep. and engaging kids more. Yeah. Uh, and I like the, the flexible grouping and the, the looping talks about when uh, students have the same teachers year after year or a couple right. of years anyway. Yeah, a couple of years, yeah. Uh, but multi-age classrooms, I think, yeah. are happening more and more. Uh, and especially the interdisciplinary courses and units. Yes. I think this that is like a key, the, right? The biggest piece that people were really talking about. Okay. How um, it really is, like, even if you just think it from a straight, like, black and white logistical standpoint, um, given that we expect to be in and out of, uh, you know, in-person, remote, and blended learning models, and we do not ever expect that it will be 20-some-odd kids in a room together moving after 45 minutes to the next room or whatever, that project-based inter interdisciplinary learning is the most efficient way to deliver instruction. Yep. Because you combine everything and it's, and it's way more engaging than siloed instruction. Mm -hmm. And so it gives learners lots of entry points, lots of hooks, right, to where they can be interested. It, as we've said many, many times, a well-crafted project-based unit can offer lots of individual pathways within the unit. Mm -hmm. As it says here in the framework, there's organic formative assessment opportunities and it's just, you can do so much. And whether teachers start to work together, whether like a science teacher and an art teacher start to work together or, you know, there's just um, the time, it's, it's the time to start playing with it because we have so many restrictions that it has blown up the schedule and made so many opportunities. Um, and it's really easy to go back and forth between kind of like whole class huddles or small group huddles and individual work in project-based learning. That's how it works. So it just feels like it makes sense to do it especially if we're in the the any type of like blended learning which i yeah. think might be one of the more uh likable options i would right. say that i could yeah. send my kid to school maybe uh one morning or one afternoon or or a day or something right. where you meet with the teachers and potentially meet with the partners yep. in your project to get that in person what are we going to do right but then a lot of time can be done like this, uh, where it's done on like video remotely. Yep. And then there's that individual time. And I really right. like how it is kind of designed to work this way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've talked about many times before, uh, project-based uh, project learning isn't a recipe. So everybody does not have to come out with the same thing at the end. Exactly. And that's why I like when it talks about organic formative assessment opportunities that you can find so many different things in these well-designed projects 
that kids will take in many different directions. Mm -hmm. And it is more time efficient, obviously, because you're not going into siloed classes every single day, which I think is not feasible in type of environment. No. I think we just proved that over the last three months um, in the United States is that that's not going to work for all of our kids. So how about we make it a little bit more engaging with these really cool projects? Yeah. I I totally agree. And I like this one the most. So another part of the project-based things, well, we want to consider equitable services and just equity at the forefront of decision-making as it says. Yeah. So why, why was this put in as a, like a, a feature? Well, because, uh, <laughs> well, because the COVID situation has highlighted the inequities in our systems in a blaringly obvious way. And it would be irresponsible to not have an equity lens moving forward. Um, And I think a lot of people are still thinking kind of everything for everyone, right? Like that one size fits all type of, you know, when they're picturing making groups for blended learning or, you know, blended school attendance, they're kind of thinking like, you know, like almost like the way you assign kids to advisor groups, like, you know, okay, A through E, you know, like alphabetical by last name, every other kid. And we just want to hold up the, the stop sign and say, is that actually equitable? Right. It's easier, but it doesn't make it equitable. Right. It's not equitable. Right. Unless every single one of your learners have the same exact learning needs, then maybe make the argument that it is. But we know that that's likely not the case. Right. And so why not do, do does every kid have to have like if you're in a situation where there's limited amounts of in-person contact with teachers for instruction does every kid need the same amount of instruction with the teacher right are there some kids that should be in every day if it's for for two hours are there some kids that really only need to come once a week for a couple of hours like think about it that way think about it as as far as the lords of the needs the lords of the needers the lords of the needers I think, um, I think that's a good way to frame that is that we just don't have these three types of, of learning, whether it's in-person, blended, or all yeah. remote, we need to think about what's best for that particular kid yeah. and set up something for that kid. Okay, now right. kid B, what are we going to do about that? Kid C, what are we going to do about that? And then design something that works for each of these kids. Uh, that's much more difficult. Right. But I think it's the obvious next step for what we've talked about for all these years is meeting every kid's need. Yeah. In this case, we have, we have kids all over the place, yeah. uh, not just all over the place academically, but all over the place in their towns, in their districts, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's best for them. Right. Uh, we've done a great job, I think, it, for the three months of preparing for this, but now we have to really put it into place and meeting these kids' needs right. uh, means everything. And I think, and you know, our audience members have heard us talk about this before that like personalize, this is, and this is like 
high level personalizing, right? This is personalizing yeah. at a systemic level. This isn't just in the classroom personalized learning. Mm -hmm. um, but even when you are working kind of in the classroom personalized learning, like human beings are human beings and they're tend to be trends, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's rarely the case that out of 20 students, you're going to have 20 totally unique learning plans. Right. And I, I would go out on a pretty sturdy limb and say that even as you're sitting doing this, kind of figuring out like, okay, what are the plans for who comes for instruction when, you're probably gonna end up with a limited set of options that most kids fit into, right? Mm -hmm. I would agree. So it isn't like you're suddenly creating 200 different schedules if you've got 200 different kids in your building or 2000. Right. Like it's more likely that there will be maybe somewhere between like six and 10 options that kids get funneled into. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I want people to kind of keep that in their heads that like, yes, personalized, meeting the needs of individuals. At the same time, humans are pretty predictable, um, you know, behavior and like there are patterns and trends that we can rely on uh, to help make that kind of mass personalization much easier. I think one of the, one of the last parts of, of this part that we're gonna talk about today and we're going to get to the other parts in the future pods here sure. um, is providing equitable services. And it has some things to consider, uh, mm. considering low tech and no tech options in addition yep. to online learning yeah. uh, or quasi independent projects that could be completed with the minimal resources as, at home. Yeah. We know that the kids have different situations at home, uh, different supports at home. Uh, but it doesn't mean that some kids get to work on the computer all the time and those other kids get worksheets. No. It's never an either or choice. It's uh, just because they have laptops doesn't mean they need to be on the computer all the time. Right. But it doesn't mean that a worksheet takes the place of that at no. all. No, right. Yeah. If the kids accessing online work get to do some kind of amazing, you know, treasure map scavenger hunt type thing, then uh, we need to figure out a way to provide that same experience uh, without the computer. Agreed. And uh, there are some uh, plans for remote learning in part four of this that we'll be talking about. Um, but I think that's a lot for today. Yeah. To, Let's to talk get about into. part four next week. Part four yeah. is very interesting. It is and very interesting. It's impressive that we included it. I, I think a lot of plans don't include this piece. I would say you are correct on that one. Yeah. Uh, we're just, they're just hoping for the best on some of the things. Right. Um, but I think as, as we talked about before, we, we talk about personalized learning, even in these environments, but having that equity lens while meeting yeah. all kids' needs, I think that would be a great way for people just to give a, like a bullet of what we're thinking of for all of our kids when they come back to school uh, in the fall, whether it's in person or not. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about the rest of these in future pods because this awesome. is a lot of stuff to get through, but uh, we've got 10 weeks to talk about it. So we'll just keep on going. I guess. I mean, we've taken summer vacation in the past. Maybe this year we don't. Maybe wow. this Maybe this year we don't. And then I have to figure out how what, what season we're in. <laughs> 
Francis. <laughs> it's easy. We'll just jump ahead. <laughs> Ten sounds good. Uh, no. All right. We will talk next time. Yeah. It's a